community for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Thank you, Zoe. One of the perks of being the pastor's daughter is that you get to read scripture when the regular reader calls in sick. So Zoe, always a trooper. Thank you. Thank you. Did you all watch the Olympics this week? Any, just raise your hands if you're an Olympic fan. Right? I, I love the Olympics. Oh my goodness. Did you all see the curling game? Men's curling? Holy cow, right? I mean, just, it just something swells up in me. I did just this deep... Uh, this deep admiration for these athletes, even these curling athletes. I, I just love the Olympics. Sean White, I mean, come back, you know, and then Lindsay. Uh, just on and on and on. These amazing athletes. Just this deep admiration I feel. Uh, one of my favorite stories coming out of the Olympics this year was of Tucker West. If you don't know the name Tucker West, you'll have to look him up. Tucker is a luge. Did you say lugeist? Luger? The luger sounds like loser. We don't want to say that. He's a luge guy, right? Uh, but Tucker, I, I just loved his story. They shared his story on NBC, and you can see the video. Tucker fell in love with the idea of the Olympics and with luge racing when he was six years old. Uh, something just caught his imagination, and he said, I, you know, I want to I do that. And so uh, he's, he, he got a coach, and, and he got a sled, and he, he uh, just started training. And tra- his dad even, by the way, this is just the dedication it takes to do Olympics. His dad built a luge track in the backyard. Did you all see this? I mean, he... And I got to think about stuff I built, like, you know, I've built a place to hang your hammocks in my backyard. I mean, so I guess my kids can grow up to be Olympic nappers, right? That's just what, that's their, that's their future. But, uh, you know, when I think about Olympic athletes, I, I just think about admiration, their dedication, their commitment, the time they invest. But, you know, one of the things that's different about me and these Olympic athletes is that uh, they move beyond admiration. In fact, right now, this week somewhere, there is another six-year-old just like Tucker. Only that six-year-old has moved beyond admiration to something even greater. He's watching videos. She's getting a coach. They're training and committing themselves entirely to this task, practicing every day. And that's the difference between me and that future six-year-old Olympic athlete. They're watching the athletes on TV, and they don't just admire them. They have decided to become them, to follow them. You see, there's a big difference between being an admirer and being a follower. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. We're in this series, Running on Empty, looking at the life of Jesus and people that Jesus encountered when he walked this earth. One of the fascinating things about Jesus was this kind of effect he had on people. Just everywhere he went, the crowds followed. Jesus had many admirers. But while he was teaching, while he was doing his ministry, something began to happen in the hearts of a few of them that went way beyond admiration. And their hearts started pounding and their their minds started racing. Something deep inside of them said, this is it. This is what I have been longing for my whole life without even knowing it. Without being able to name it. To be cleansed and forgiven of my sin and all that junk that's a part of my life. To know God, to have a life beyond worry, beyond fear. Not to be slave to my sexual desires or unhealthy habits or to need far more money than I actually need. To be a part of God's cause to redeem the world. This is what I've longed for. 
to have confidence beyond the grave, to not be afraid of death anymore. I have to have this. I would rather have this, this man, what he has to give me, than to have everything else in the whole world, than to have everything in the world that they could offer me but give up this man. Therefore, they think, I will pay any price. I don't care. I will do whatever he wants me to. They have moved beyond admiration. They have become fully uh, devoted followers of Jesus. This is the power that Jesus had when he walked the earth. This is the kind of magnetism he had. But not everyone said yes to this invitation. In fact, today I want to look at a story, a story of a guy, we heard it read aloud who was confronted with this very question, but something held him back. Something prevented him from moving from admiration to follower. And I want to unpack this story and see what we have to learn from it today. It's from the Gospel of Mark. It's actually told in three of the four Gospels. The Gospels are the biographies of Jesus' life written by those who were closest to him. Mark was one of those followers, and Mark begins the story this way. Did you notice this? I just, this is one of those nerdy pastor moments when you come up with a series title, and then the scripture just says it. As Jesus started on his way, way a man running up to Jesus, running on empty, and he fell on his knees before him. So today what I want to do is I want to try and answer three questions. Who was this man? Who was this man? What's he looking for? Why why is he running to Jesus? Who was this man? What's he looking for? And why does he ultimately walk away sad? Can you imagine walking away from Jesus in flesh and blood? Well, I want to give credit for a couple of stories I'm going to tell today uh, in advance. They come from the author, a book by a guy named John Ortberg. Um, But uh, rather than stop, I thought I'd tell you that up front. Two of the stories are his. So who is this guy? That's our first question. Well, uh, to get our minds around who this rich young ruler is, uh, let me tell you this. He's sort of the golden boy in town. Was there a golden boy in your town growing up? If you can't think of who the golden boy was, it means you were him. Or if you can't think of the golden girl, you were her, right? Right? Every town has a golden boy, golden girl. They're the image of success, financially, morally, socially. We know he's, as the Bible says, exceedingly rich, which means most likely he runs his own business. He owns quite a bit of land. Uh, He's also morally upright. He, He not only has lived, he's memorized the Ten Commandments. Did you catch that in the story? He says, I have kept these since I was a little boy, since his youth. But it's not just that he's financially well off, and it's not just that he's morally upright. He's also socially successful too. Everyone in the crowd that day knew who this guy was. He probably had at least as many Twitter followers as Timberlake. Uh, The way the disciples respond to this guy at the end of the story shows that they knew who this was. He's probably the high school quarterback, valedictorian, president of Young Entrepreneurs Club. He is the image of success, the kind of guy your grandma prayed you would bring home to marry, right? <laughs> we getting a feel for this guy? So you can imagine the disciples' surprise when this guy shows up, falls on his knees before Jesus. Just imagine for a moment, just to kind of paint the... Imagine if Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, were to walk in here right now and sit on the front row, right? What would we do? Y'all would not hear a single word I said. The rest of the story, you'd be like, Mark, you'd be on Facebook. Well, wait a second, there's a tricky, right? But you, you get the feel, right? So you can imagine their surprise. 
Well, the man starts off. He comes to Jesus. He falls on the ground on his knees, and he asks this question. Look at what he says here in Mark chapter 10. Good teacher. Good teacher. We're going to come back to that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Now, this would not have been a surprising question to Jesus. In fact, it was the question that Jesus often addressed in his own teaching. Uh, This phrase, eternal life, that can sound kind of like Bible speak. Let me unpack it a little bit. It was not only the kind of life after death that we think about living eternally, but it was also a quality of life, what Jesus calls abundant life. Eternal life, everlasting life, is the God kind of life we can experience now and the with God kind of life we experience after death. That's what he's asking about. But there's a kind of tension in this young man's question, and I don't know if you caught it. It's in these words, do and inherit. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And here's the tension. You see, doing is something that hinges on me, right? Either I do or I do not. That is the, okay, yeah, I do, right? That, that hinges on me. But notice inherit, inherit is something that depends on someone else. If I'm going to inherit wealth from someone, that is wealth that came because someone else did. Do you see that? And so this young man is kind of, he's kind of caught in his own question. He's stuck. He says, what must I do to get something that has nothing to do with my doing? You see the tension? Well, Jesus, Jesus sees something else that's going on here. He pierces a little bit deeper and it hinges on this word good. And I just love this uh, because Jesus is on to something. This rich young ruler, he, he knows how to engage socially. He's come to Jesus. What's the first thing he does? Well, he flatters Jesus, right? Hey, a good teacher. He's trying to puff him up a little bit. He, but Jesus isn't going to play the game. Jesus isn't going to be had that easy. This guy comes to Jesus kind of like your teenager does when they want you to let them go to see the movie on Friday. Oh, mom, that's such a pretty dress. I really like those earrings. Hey, by the way, can I go to the movies with my friends? You see what he's up to here? Or so I've been told kids would do that. I'm not sure. But here, here, look at what Jesus does. He says, no one is good except God alone Pause, pause, pause. Like this is the moment, if this is the office, this is when Jesus looks at the camera like this, right? (laughs) Because we all know what he's getting at here. You call me good, only God is good. What are you saying, young man? Well, you see, this guy comes to Jesus and at least at first glance, he's not interested in following Jesus. He wants to get something from Jesus. He's looking to use Jesus for his own benefit. And before we look at Jesus' response, I just want to comment on this because I think we have a similar temptation in the church today. Whereas in Jesus' day, the typical pattern was to move from being a Jesus stranger to become a Jesus admirer and then eventually a Jesus follower. This is the pattern we see again and again in the scriptures. In our day and age, we've inserted another step, what I want to call a Jesus user. This is someone who comes to Jesus because, well, we we just kind of want to use Jesus for our own comfort. We want to use Jesus for our own benefit. We want to use Jesus as a way to get into heaven. We want to use Jesus as a get-out-of-jail-free card in a moment of crisis. But we're not really interested in following Jesus. 
I want my life as it is now, we think, with a little Jesus sprinkled on top. The idea that I might have to surrender, that there might be some parts of my life that need changing, no, thank you. I'm fine just as I am. But hey, can I have some Jesus sprinkles on that ice cream cone? I want the benefits without the cost. But look at how Jesus responds. Again, he's not going to be had by this. He's not offended. He doesn't send the guy away. Instead, he meets the man right where he is at. Good? Who are you calling good? Only God is good. But then he continues. To find the kind of life you are after, start by keeping the commandments. Well, here, it's where the young man starts to get really honest, isn't it? It's here where he's starting to expose himself a little bit. And we see a little bit of his uh, exhaustion, a little bit of his anxiety. He says, Jesus, all of these I have done since I was a boy. Jesus, I've been doing my best my entire life. I've been trying to do the right thing. I've gone to the right schools. I went to UCLA. I've done the right internships. I've worked for the right companies. I volunteered at the right organizations. I even served in the nursery at Westlake. Jesus, what more do you want me to do? I'm running, but I feel like I'm running on empty, Jesus. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you like this rich young ruler, have kind of, well, in some areas of your life, you've arrived, haven't you? Maybe you're not the boss, but you're kind of at the pinnacle of your career. Or you've got the corner office, the expense account, the respect of your colleagues, but it still feels like something's missing. Have you felt that way? Or maybe you had the perfect wedding. You've got the kids, the house, in the cul-de-sac, the perfect dog, which, by the way, is a German shepherd, but it feels like something's still missing, right? Or teenagers, maybe at school, you've made the squad. You're on the honor roll. You've got over a thousand followers on Instagram, but it still feels empty. See, the truth is, it's possible to be winning at everything in life, but still feel empty because we're running the wrong race. Our culture has a term for this kind of moment. It usually happens halfway through our life, at at midlife. You probably know it. It's called a midlife. Oh, so you know this. You've heard of this before. Okay, okay. I didn't know. I was reading an article this week. I love this. One psychologist actually suggested that we rename midlife crisis. They suggested the title uh, crisis of success. A crisis of success is when you actually get the thing you want, but it doesn't deliver the goods you thought it was going to deliver. And what this psychologist points out is that that does not only happen when you're 43, that happens when you're 13 and when you're 63, right? Oh, am I 42? Oh, I'm 42. I'm not 43. I turned 43 in a month. There we go. I can't even see midlife crisis. I can't even remember how old I am. All right, there we go. Well, let's get back to this story because what happens next in this verse is one of the most striking details in all of the gospels. How does Jesus respond to this guy? Well, Mark tells us in this one sentence, he says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. Jesus isn't angry. He's not disappointed. Mark says he loved him. And I don't want us to miss this. Can you imagine 
in the midst of your most honest confession, kind of just pulling the curtain back. Here's my heart. Here's my struggle. Can you imagine if Jesus were just to look at you and love you? Could there be a more powerful experience in our lives? You see, we can't miss this because if we miss this point, if we miss the truth that Jesus, everything he's going to say, everything he's going to do in the next few moments is motivated by love. If we don't catch that, then we will just see what Jesus says as another thing we have to do to inherit eternal life, right? So watch this. Jesus loves him. And he continues. He says, in all tenderness, my friend, one thing you lack. Here's the thing you're missing. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Does that make you a little uncomfortable? You're like, could, could, could we just like get some white out for that part of the Bible? You know, can we just, can we kind of, y'all know white out kids, white out's like, okay, you know, I didn't know if you knew why we had that in high school. If you're a little bit uncomfortable by this passage, that's good. That's what these verses are trying to do. They're trying to make us a little bit uncomfortable. That's their job. Is Jesus saying here that to be a Christian, we must sell all of our possessions and give it all away to the poor? Maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Jesus has asked many of his followers to do even crazier things. But that does not seem to be the point of this story, at least not the main point. Rather, it seems to be, the point seems to be about identifying what it is that holds this man back from following Jesus wholeheartedly. Why does this guy walk away sad? Well, because of his stuff. His stuff has a grip on his life. And it stops him from following Jesus. His attachment to wealth or the prestige of wealth or the power that came with wealth. We don't know. It's not for us to know. It's to be a mirror to ourselves to ask, what is it that holds me back from following Jesus wholeheartedly? And it occurred to me this week that that this, this is really the difference between an admirer and a follower. An admirer, when you're an admirer, you kind of keep your distance, don't you? Oh, you don't want to be too far away. You want to be, but, but you're kind of in that middle zone, that, that gray zone, somewhere in the middle, the are we friends or are we dating zone, right? You're just going to be kind of an admirer. Close enough to be in the crowd, but far enough away that it doesn't require anything radical of you. Well, I want to give a picture of the difference between admiration and full devotion by using a word that I did not know until I read it this week. Here's a little, here's a little kind of a word test for you. Uh, what do you think the word phonambulus means? Phonambulus. Turn to the person next to you and tell them what you think phonambulus means. Ready? Go. Any guess? Anybody think they actually know what this means? Anybody really know what a funambulus? I had someone say to me this week, oh, is that like a fun ambulance? No, it's not a fun ambulance. No such thing as a fun ambulance, right? Right. Funambulus. 
You know what a funambulist is? It's an acrobat who walks on a cable from great height. Isn't that a good word? Somebody just won five bucks. All right, here we go. (laughs) There have been many funambulists in the history of the world, but there's one that towers over everyone else in the memory of our culture. Uh, About 150 years ago, he was at the peak of his game. His name is Charles Blondin. And I wanted to share this story. Many of you will be familiar with this story, but I wanted to share this story, particularly this week, uh, in memory of Reverend Graham, who often told this story as an example of what it means to really follow Jesus. Charles Blondin came to the United States from overseas and was uh, fascinated, obsessed actually, with Niagara Falls. Uh, He wanted to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Uh, He actually strung up a hemp cord, uh, 1,100 feet across and 160 feet high above Niagara Falls, and he said he was going to cross it from one side to the other. He was quite a showman. He managed to attract a crowd of 100,000 people that day to watch him cross this great landmark step by step, inch by inch. Can you imagine the drama of that moment? Life or death. He had no safety net, no safety cable. It was just him and the rope. He crossed all the way over, and tons of people, of course, they were taking pictures of him. Actually, at one moment, he goes, he goes to the side, he gets the camera, walks out onto the rope, and takes a picture of everyone. On, it's like the first kind of group selfie thing in the 1850s. All right, here we go. Another time he went out, he took a chair with him. Do we have a photo of this one? Chair and table? I think we might have. There we go. He took a chair out on the rope with him. Actually set a table. He actually cooked an omelet and lowered it down to a boat that was in the water below to feed to someone for breakfast on the boat. Quite the showman. The crowd went crazy. They had never seen a man walk the rope with this kind of authority, with this kind of confidence. Well, in the height of his show that day, he turned to the crowd and he asked them, he said, do you believe I can do this? They said, of course we can do this. So then he got a wheelbarrow and he actually walked across with the wheelbarrow. He said, do you believe I can cross this? Everybody said, yeah, yeah, we believe you. Hey, man, you do it. You're awesome. He said, all right, who's willing to get inside of the wheelbarrow and let me push them across the road? All 100,000 people fell silent. Minutes passed when finally one man, Harry Colkert, who knew Blondin, he had worked with him. He had seen him do this 100 times. Harry came forward. He climbed in the wheelbarrow and as 999,999 people held their breath. The two men crossed the rope, inch by inch, step by step. They made it to the other side, and of course, the crowd went crazy. But the crowd didn't get in the wheelbarrow that day. Everybody applauded Charles Blondin, but only one man followed him. Only one man trusted him. And the walk they went on together, neither one of them would ever forget. Here's the thing. What's the point of the story? Well, Jesus came to this earth and did some incredible things. His teaching was amazing. His miracles, amazing. But Jesus was not interested in simply amazing a crowd. Jesus never went up to people and said, hey, admire me. He said instead, follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. In essence, Jesus' invitation is, follow me, get in the wheelbarrow. And here's the question for us this morning. Have you, 
Have you wholly devoted yourself to following Jesus? Not, do you admire him? Do you applaud him? Do you believe? But are you his follower? And because this is the most momentous decision you will ever make in your life, I want to be really clear about what it means to get in the wheelbarrow. What is it that goes in the wheelbarrow? Well, the first thing that goes in the wheelbarrow when you decide to follow Jesus is this. It's your past. Your sin goes in there. Your guilt goes in there. Jesus says this is what the cross is all about. You put your guilt, your mistakes, your regrets in the wheelbarrow. You put your sin on my back, Jesus says, and I will walk this rope for you. I will take you to the other side where you could never get to by your own power. I will pay your debts if you will confess your sins and repent. I will wipe the slate clean if you will put your past, your sin, your guilt in my wheelbarrow. But it's not just your past that goes in the wheelbarrow, is it? It's your present and your future. And that means there's some other stuff that goes in the wheelbarrow too. Like your time and your resources and your relationships and your sexuality and your career. Everything goes in the wheelbarrow if you are going to follow Jesus. Following Jesus, getting in the wheelbarrow is kind of like doing the hokey pokey. You don't just put your hand in, you put your whole self in or you take your whole self out. Have you decided? To follow Jesus. Now, of course, we can't do this on our own, can we? We need Jesus' help. But Jesus says, you can ask me and I will come and live my life in you. And I want to give you a little picture of what I think that looks like. Thursday night, my family and I went to the Hornets game. Uh, it was our first time in a Hornets game. We had a blast. It was so fun. A friend here from church uh, had some tickets they gave us, and we just, man, we had the time of our life. As we were leaving, because I'd parked in an area I was not familiar with, I did what any of you would have done. I took out my phone, and I said, hey, Siri, get me directions home, right? And all was well at first. We got on the interstate, and, uh, and we were going just fine, so long as Siri and I agreed, until we got to the point where Siri was telling me to take the next exit. My wife was telling me to take the next exit. My kids were telling me to take the next exit. But deep in my heart, I wanted to stay on the interstate. I knew a better way. And then I remembered the words of the Bible. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but it leads to death. <laughs> Follow Jesus means I do what he says, period. Now, am I going to mess up? Of course I'm going to mess up. Of course I'm going to blow it. I'm going to do it all the time. I'm going to need his help. But to follow Jesus, don't miss this. To follow Jesus means that I have formed an intention in my mind and in my heart to do my best to follow him, to do whatever he says. Jesus, God, with your help, as best I can, I will do what you say. I will give you my life, my time, my obedience. That's what it means to decide to follow Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If that's not your intention, if that's not your desire, if that's not the intention you formed in your mind, then the best thing you can do is just be honest with yourself about that. If that's not your settled intent, then whatever else you may be, maybe you're an admirer, you are not a follower of Jesus. 
But Jesus is not looking for admirers. He's looking for followers. He's looking for people who will say, all right, God, I'll do the hokey pokey. I'm all in. I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. Now, there's something else you need to know about this Jesus. And I think it's why it was so important to Mark that we know he looked on this man and loved him. You see, Thursday night when we were driving, I was quite sure I knew a better way. And we stayed on the freeway, much to Ceres and my family's demise. And we ended up going to Carowinds instead of heading home. <laughs> but unlike my family that day, Siri was not surprised by my waywardness. She simply waited to get her bearings found a safe moment to recalculate directions. And then she said to me, Aaron, you idiot, what were you doing? <laughs> no, no, she didn't say that. She... In that safe moment, you know what Siri said? In a quarter of a mile, make a U-turn. In a quarter of a mile, make a U-turn. And my friends, that is the picture of grace. That is the picture of Jesus. That's the picture we get from Mark when he says he looks upon you and he loves you. Friends, a U-turn is available a quarter mile ahead. And that's grace. That's it. That's Jesus. We never run out of sight. We never run out of opportunities to turn and say, Jesus, today, I want to form an intent in my mind and in my heart and in my soul. I want to decide today. I want to follow you. I don't want just to admire you, Jesus. Because Jesus, on my own, I'm running on empty. And I believe, I believe, Jesus, best I can, that you are the one who gives life and who gives it to the fullest. You see, this is the picture of Jesus. Why would you not give your full devotion to this man? He doesn't present himself as a good spiritual teacher to be admired from a distance. He presents himself as master, as Lord, as the one to be followed and served and obeyed and worshiped. There is no other way he is it. And the only question for you today is who will you follow? Who will you follow? Can we pray together? Would you bow your heads with me? I was thinking this week that I would not be a good pastor to you if I did not make abundantly clear this critical decision that every person must make in their life. Who am I going to follow? And if you've never formed that intention in your mind and in your heart, you've never said to God and to yourself, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right here in just a moment, just between you and God. To say, Jesus, today I want to move from admirer to follower. Jesus, I don't want anything to hold me back. Today I am making that commitment to do so. And if that's you, if that's you today, what would hold you back from that? What would be so important that you would miss the opportunity to receive this life from the author of life, the giver of life? And so if that's you, would you just pray with me this? Father, today, to the best of my ability,
I commit myself to follow you. I form in my mind and in my heart an intention to be your follower. Jesus, I know that I cannot do this perfectly. I know I will yet need your grace and your help and your strength. But Jesus, to the best of my ability, I want to do what you say in my life. I want to follow you. Would you help me to do that in your name? Now, for others of us, there may be something else in our life. Maybe you formed that intention, but you know that this morning, even as we were talking, the Holy Spirit was just pressing on your heart an area of your life that you've been holding back, something that you've said, Jesus, I'm not willing to give you that part. And I want to form the same question to you. Why would you hold that back from this Jesus who so lovingly wants to help you get in the wheelbarrow and trust him with your whole self? And if that's you, would you just pray this with me? Jesus, I know there's this area of my life. Aaron's not going to name it, but I could name it quietly under my breath that I have held back from you. And today, Jesus, I want to entrust that part of myself to you. I want to put that in your wheelbarrow. I want to be all in, Jesus. Forgive me for holding back this part. Would you give me the courage to trust you with this part of me? I pray in your name. And for everyone, we can know that wherever we are at on our spiritual journey, Jesus looks on us this morning with love and gives us the invitation to take the next step. So Jesus, would you help us all to do that? Would you help us to be a community of followers who are quick to obey, quick to go when you sit? And Jesus, would you fill us with the life eternal that you promise? We make this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.